Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, Grant's, uh, I guess, Grant's radio. We are uh, podcasting, Evan Lorenz and I, I'm Jim Grant. We are podcasting on the topic of the, um, of the current issue of Grant's. And Evan, if I do say so, and I do say so, it is merely fabulous. Um, you agree, Evan? Oh, wholeheartedly. Let's begin by talking about what's, what's in it. I want to begin by the cartoon, which is uh, not the least important part of what we do. And here's the, here's, the, here's the cartoon. Okay, so the scene is uh, a dining room table, a husband and a wife. Um, he has a mouthful of uh, her cooking, and uh, he is looking at her with a certain amount of amazement and husbandly guilt. And what she is saying to him is, quote, how can you eat knowing that that man is president? Um, so that is the cartoon. And uh, because we're not going to talk about religion, having discussed politics, we're going to dive right into uh, the, uh, the financial content of the current issue of Grant's Interest Rate Observer. And with me is the deputy editor of Grant's, the inimitable analyst, uh, Evan Lorenz. So Evan, uh, here's what I propose that we talk about. Uh, uh, we talk about um, uh, Detroit and its... Uh, and its woes, or most of these woes, are to come. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, margin of safety, this uh, central doctrine in investing, especially value investing. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, bank credit, and we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the future. The future is a very big topic, Evan, but I think we can handle that in the, in the next 18 minutes. So let us begin with uh, one of your major contributions to this issue, which is a, a piece. Uh, we have headlined disabled vehicles, and this concerns cars, trucks, credit, and and trouble. So, would you give us a quick overview on uh, on how you conceive this story and how you and uh, how we are presenting it? So, the curious thing when you look at um, the auto lending world today is defaults are, are delinquencies and defaults are spiking at a time when the economy looks to be doing pretty good and um, you know employment is improving every single month um, it seems like the explanation for this is not that the consumer is doing badly but that lenders had lent too well and perhaps not uh, wisely enough um, cre consumer credit had improved you know post uh, crisis as you know, consumers work their ways out of um, the defaults on mortgages um, they, they move from subprime perhaps to prime and lenders were uh, doing perhaps better than they had expected on vintages through 2015 However, in 2016, lenders appeared to have gotten a little bit too aggressive and delinquencies actually were spiking above what they expected. At the same time, because auto sales had fallen so hard during the crisis, uh, there were a few late vintage uh, used cars coming onto the market, which had a solitary effect towards used car prices. Now, used car prices seem kind of like an ancillary thing or something that's not very important. But in fact, used car prices are kind of core to a lot of parts well, of the Well, nobody, nobody talks about that used car smell, right? They, no, every, everyone would prefer a, a new car, yeah, all right. things being equal. Um, however, used cars kind of grease the entire car market. Nine out of 10 car sales involve a trade-in. So if uh, used prices are low, uh, consumers can less afford a new car. Um, lenders lend in part based off of their expectations for recoveries if loans go bad. So if used prices are lower, that actually means lenders will restrict terms. But you, uh, high use prices also mean that lenders are more willing to extend uh, leases to consumers because right. they're better able to predict the residual value. So our story describes the, uh, the kind of the arc of the credit cycle in cars and trucks. And we describe um, uh, how um, uh, on very 
very easy lending gave rise and helped to give rise to the crisis that ended in 2008 and 2009, and uh, how uh, sackcloth and ashes uh, came over the lending community, and uh, at length how uh, these lenders um, uh, perked up and began doing all over again what they had done in 2006, right? <laughs> which is the eternal cycle. And it's playing out how. How might our readers um, expect to see the world in a couple of years based upon what has happened, Evan? Well, the, the, the things to expect are even lower uh, used car prices, which are going to actually force uh, the uh, OEMs, the GM, Ford, Chrysler, to offer higher incentives to move new cars. Um, it'll see larger losses uh, for the lenders that had offered leases, uh, lower recovery values when loans do default. And it may actually slow down the whole, um, you know, sales cycle because if consumers are less able to afford a car because used prices are down, you know, the SAR might actually fall a little bit. Well, the thing about thing about uh, easy credit is that, of course, it pulls consumption forward and it pushes uh, failure or the recognition of failure out in the future. And we've seen this in, in many different departments of American finance, and now we're seeing it in a very, very big department indeed, namely the, the automotive one. So that's so much for... Um, for four wheels, Evan, let's talk about uh, let's talk about um, the margin of safety. This this central concept to a value investing, and one associates the margin of safety with uh, of all people with 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 uh, with Warren Buffett. Indeed, uh, uh, Warren Buffett and uh, his partners, Three G Capital, which are the um, brilliant Brazilian investors who've uh, uh, run Craft uh, Heinz and Restaurant Brands International, amongst other companies. Um, restaurant brands just paid the most expensive multiple ever for a uh, North American restaurant, uh, Popeye's, 21 times EBITDA. Um, at that multiple, there is a glancingly small margin of safety. If anything goes wrong, this deal could actually end up uh, losing that company money. Yeah, I, I, um, I invite the readers of Grants uh, to go back in our archives, our uh, not-so-dusty not so archives are quite accessible, and uh, look up a story. Uh, headed more junk food. And the date is October 27th, 1989. And in that story, you will see uh, the seeds planted of today's leveraged uh, transactions in restaurant stocks. So uh, um, nothing exactly is new under the sun. Um, you know, this margin of safety business uh, is, uh, it seems to me, it is the central concept for finance today. We see it, for example, in the European debt markets. Now, there's a, there's a great uh, a political drama building in France. Uh, Marine Le Pen either will or will not prevail. And if she does, shockingly, well, not shockingly, because uh, we know that she says that she will do something. And what she says is that she will take France out of the Eurozone, out of the Euro, and reinstitute the franc and redenominate most of French sovereign debt in the not, uh, not now existing franc. Shocking, right? So how is the market responding to this? Well, it is demanding a skyscraping yield of 1% on euro-denominated French sovereign debt. Is that sufficient to, uh, for you? Speaking as an individual, I'm not holding Not you. for me. Okay. And how is this playing out in other European uh, debt quotations? So what's happening in Germany, for example? The two-year boon actually reached an all-time uh, low yield today or an all-time high price. Uh, I believe it's almost negative 1% if I, if I were to check my Bloomberg today. 
So as investors are fleeing the 1% yield in, uh, on the 10-year fr- uh, French uh, sovereign government bond, they're fleeing to a negative 1% or near negative 1% for the two-year German boom. Yeah, allow me to put in a, a plug for my old friend, Gold Bullion, which kind of needs a pat in the back or indeed a hug from time to time, and why people choose to flee into the promises of a sovereign government uh, paying a currency that's been in existence for less than 20 years, when they can buy at a not so uh, extravagant price the ancient monetary medium that costs something to produce, that looks good, and that glints when left in the sunshine. Why they choose the bond is beyond me. However, this will end the uh, l- lamentation that uh, I described, uh, disguised as an investment idea. Um, so, Evan, let us talk also about uh, about this thing called long-term investing. Whatever happened to it? And I ask this question rhetorically because um, uh, Bank of America Merrill Lynch recently polled 200 or so institutional money managers, and they asked them, uh, among other things, uh, how many of you believe in the idea of secular stagnation? Very fancy phrase, secular stagnation, which means, um, to use the technical term, meh. It means... Uh, persistently low growth and chronically droopy prices, not over a year or two or three, but over, say, a generation. This was a a term, secular stagnation, that came into the language in the late 30s. One of uh, uh, Keynes' disciples, Alvin Hansen, coined it, and uh, Larry Summers recently picked it up and has popularized it. So a year ago, more than 80% of respondents to the Merrill Lynch poll said, yes, they credit the idea of secular stagnation. Shocking, right? This is America. Yeah. Uh, of course, a year ago, the stock market was going down. This year, Evan, if you haven't noticed, the stock market is zipping higher. And what percentage of the respondents would you guess say they now credit the doctrine of secular stagnation? Well, I'll tell you, don't guess. 43%, about half of the respondents who last year said they believed it. So what's the half-life of a long-term conviction, Evan? About you know, six days, six weeks? Uh, I think the problem is the definition. I think long-term now means more than two quarters. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's not so much a question of time as of uh, market action. This reminds me of a story that Leon Levy told about himself in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, Leon and his wife, Shelby White, were prepared to uh, settle on the Met, uh, a very, very big gift, and they were to receive and return the Leon Levy and Shelby White Wing, and the uh, uh, the head of the museum, Philippe Montebello, de Montebello, uh, uh, promised them. The two of them sitting there, they promised them uh, that uh, their names would be on this in perpetuity. And Leon asked, uh, "How long is perpetuity?" And de Montebello said, "For you, forty years." <laughs> yeah. So um, plus ça change, Evan. Now, uh, finally, let us turn to the state of. Uh, of bank credit. And this was another uh, Evan Lorenz contribution to this issue of grants. Uh, tell us about the curious flattening of the growth rates in bank credit over the past three months. If you look at either uh, consumer and industrial loans, which are loans that banks extend to businesses, or just bank credit in general, it's come to a standstill in the, in the last three months. It, it, con, uh, businesses are not borrowing. The demand does not seem to be there anymore. It, it's crashed. Well, has this been corroborated, this evident trend in uh, deceleration? Is this corroborated by sightings in the more um, everyday business world outside of finance? In fact, there was one earlier this week. Um, IHS Market, which is um, a market research and anal- uh, analyst firm based in London, has a flash PMI. 
according to their composite PMI for the U.S., which includes both both the services part of the economy and the manufacturing part of the economy, business expectations are now the lowest that they've been since September 2016, which means that we've retraced the entire Trump bump. Well, um, um, I think this is about uh, all we ought to tell the uh, readers of Grants because they ought to read this uh, uh, this delicious prose for themselves, I think. This is just about uh, enough radio for the day. Uh, but I want to thank you, Evan. I want to thank our technical staff. And I want to thank especially the readers of Grants, the noble readers of Grants, for reading and listening. And uh, thank you. Until next time. <laughs>